Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me, as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's up? Big weekend last weekend. A lot of action. How are you? I'm good. Um, yeah, there was a big weekend. Um, although I feel like I kind of just want to make our intros now dogs made in Portland because I've had so many good dog stories, but I am fostering puppies right now. So puppies, there, how, there are how puppies many puppies in the other room, three puppies, three puppies. Um, so if you suddenly hear little squeaks, uh, <laughs> it, it might be because of that, but there, there are three puppies in the other room, um, that were very unhappy that they couldn't crawl over on my face anymore yeah. <laughs> for me to come record. It sounds so. like you're in really dire straits, uh, over, uh, over there. That just sounds terrible. Uh, just being flush with puppies and having them all over the place and wanting to crawl <laughs> in your face. Um, yeah, I know it, it, it's tough. Pray but, for Jamie, uh, yeah, everybody. It, <laughs> pray for Jamie. Uh, but you can't just like say puppies. Like, what kind of puppies? You you, you have to describe uh, them. Well, they're little pit mixes. I have a pit, so they're they're essentially my my dog's name is Pork Chop. So we've been saying they're little mini pork chops. The, is, um, is that a Doug reference? I I assume. <laughs> It is somewhat of a Doug reference. We just thought it was a cute name too, but okay. um, he did come into the shelter named Douglas, so we thought it was kind of fitting. Yeah, and he looks kind of like the cartoon. Okay. Um, so I think it fits. That's good. So so you've got pork chop and, and, and little mini pork chops. Is there like is there is there like a, a a cut of I guess pork that is like smaller than a pork chop? <laughs> I, mean, I don't I, I don't really know. I'm not, I'm not super familiar. I, I suppose with the various <laughs> cuts of pork, um, well, but. Yeah, well, neither little bacon bits I, or something like that. I I've never purposely had pork in my life, and my boyfriend doesn't eat pork either, so I actually have no idea. Which <laughs> kind of makes it funny that you've named your dog pork, yes. pork chop. That, that that only like enhances the yep. the, 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 the humor in in your dog's name. Well, that's pretty outstanding. Uh, that was a good introductory segment. I, I I think people will will enjoy that. I have no dog stories. Uh, other than uh, other than our our sort of like internet longtime internet friend Kayla Knapp uh, has arrived in Portland uh, and, and has taken a job doing social media for the Timbers and, and, and Thorns. Uh, I think this is well known around the social media world. She's a little bit of a a like you know social media soccer celebrity, uh, and so I, I think that's a big signing for the Timbers and Thorns. And the reason that relates to dogs is she really likes dogs. Really, really likes dogs if you follow her on Twitter. Uh, so that's a pretty good follow if you either like the Timbers, Thorns, or dogs. Um, the Timbers in the doghouse a little bit right now. Uh, as their form goes, uh, they went up to the, to play the Seattle Sounders in the first of what will definitely be four and could be as many as six meetings this year. Uh, they dropped this one in a 1-0 decision uh, to the Sounders. The Sounders scored early uh, but did not score often. That was the only time. Uh, and then we went, what, a good 85-plus minutes of game time without seeing uh, a ball go into the net. Uh, Jamie, you called a 3-2 win for the Sounders uh, with Diego Valeri having two assists. Uh, it wasn't 3-2. It was 1-0. So you, you were off there, but similarly off uh, as I was. Uh, Valeri definitely didn't have two assists. He actually had kind of a yeah. pretty terrible game. Um, <laughs> so that didn't happen. Uh, I called a 3-1 uh, loss for the Timbers to the Sounders as well. Uh, I, I thought Darren Maddox was going to get a late consolation goal. <laughs> not only did he not do that, he didn't even dress for the game. Uh, and the Timbers did lose, but they didn't lose 3-1. So I go ahead and give the points, but I, I think we're, we're you know, kind of, kind of you know, scrambling for scraps uh, of points here. We both got the result, but yeah, that's about it. 
Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with each of us uh gets three points for the three points the Timbers did not get. Uh, <laughs> oh man. You're just you're just like putting the knife in there and twisting it, aren't you? <laughs> Um, so the Timbers attack, obviously when you score zero goals, people are going to be like, Hmm, probably could have attacked a little bit better. Uh, and, and that was, that was, I think generally true of this game as well. Uh, the, the attack sputtered, especially in the second half. They, they got into a lot of spots in the first half. They created some decent chances, some half chances. I think you're probably fair to say, but nothing super duper clear, even in that first half in which they were a little bit more prolific and in getting into uh, good attacking positions. The second half, the, there wasn't much going at all. There, there were some some handball shouts, uh, and that's about it. But the, there wasn't really much uh, in the way of chance creation happening, which is troubling in light of the fact that the Timbers were down a goal and needed to create chances uh, if they wanted to get back into the game. Uh, this has been something that's been the, the case over the course of the last, you know, I mean, over the, over the last four games, the Timbers have only scored two goals. That is far off the pace that I think anybody in or knowing of Portland expected at the beginning uh, of the season. Uh, how concerned are you about this? Is this to you just sort of a momentary slump, uh, something that happens over the course of every you know season, even for good teams? Or, or do you think this is revealing larger concerns uh, for the Timbers attack? Yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to think that it's a slump that they will be able to work out of because I, I think they have the talent in the attack to be the attacking team that they were in the beginning of the year. I mean, I think one of the major concerns when you look at the last few games is the effectiveness of Diego Valeri and Fernando Adi. Um, I, I think Adi um, is in a little bit of a goal scoring slump. Diego Valeri missed a few games and I think he had a good game in Montreal, but, uh, as you just mentioned, um, was completely ineffective in Seattle. Um, and when those guys aren't kind of leading the way for the Timbers in the attack, this is not going to be a good attacking team. I am confident that both those players are players that are going to have good performances for the Timbers and help kind of step things up and get that attack going. Um, but I think what's concerning is that the Timbers need their attack. They're, I, I think, an okay defensive team, and they've definitely been exposed recently in recent weeks. They're kind of trying to figure out uh, what to do at center back right now. They um, are, as, as I reported earlier this week, they have made their center back signing, but that's not going to come into effect until July. So they really do need their attack, particularly in the next month uh, or so to carry them. And that involves kind of getting Valeri and Audi going and, and turning some of these getting into good spots into goals. I, I think in the game, like you mentioned, yes, they were getting into a lot of good spots. There, there was a lot of situations um, where it would be, it would come down to that final pass or it would come down to that final shot. And the Timbers were in spots where they should have been able to do better to finish um, this this is a game. I, I think when Caleb Porter looked at it, where he felt like his team played a lot better than the Sounders. And I, I think that's because they had enough control of the ball. They had the ball in enough good spots, but the, the last pass, the last moment, the last shot was not there for them at all. And it, they didn't have a ton of really good looks on goal because of that. I, I think when you look at the second half, you have to kind of accept that the Timbers were just so fairly limited with having two defensive midfielders that are prone to sit. Chara wasn't in there and Guzman had to come off. I, I think that really limited them in the attack. And I think that was a huge reason why they weren't able to create as much in the second half. But in the first half, the finishing and the final pass just wasn't what it needs to be. And I think that comes down to individuals stepping up 
and the Timbers have the talent, but they need players like Valerian Audi to come out and have the games that I think are expected of them. I think you're exactly right to sort of focus on Valerian Audi because they have just not been good over the course of the last few games. With the exception of, I think, Valerian Montreal, in which I thought he was good in in, in difficult circumstances, and in circumstances in which it didn't really matter. Uh, with with the exception of that, I, I don't think those guys have been very good recently. Uh, essentially, since coming back off of their respective injuries and suspensions. Uh, and and that is a huge problem. And that's going to be a huge problem for any team, right? If your two best attacking players are both putting in pretty substandard performances, that's not going to be good for anybody. Uh, and and that is especially true for the Timbers. And so and and so I you know I, I think that is the difference between their form now and, and and sort of their ordinary form. That said, I do think that it is fair to be a little bit disappointed in sort of the other attacking options uh, in the lack of sort of step up ability that, that we've seen from them uh, in during this period in, in which uh, Valeria and Adi have been struggling a little bit at times. Uh, you know, I mean, Sebastian Blanco has been okay. Darlington Nagby has been very Darlington Nagby. Uh, I mean, I, I think both of them did some nice things and did some things that uh, in games in which Valeria and Adi uh, are firing on all cylinders would have been very, very productive for the Timbers against Seattle. Uh, I also think they didn't make the best of some chances that they had that were pretty good where they could have put the sort of the, the, the attacking and, and the, and the finishing load on themselves and gotten the timbers a goal themselves. And, and, and so, you know, I, I, I think that is a concern. I think it's a concern that really we haven't seen anything of note from the timbers bench in a while. Uh, we saw good production from the timbers bench uh, to start the season and it's been basically nothing. Uh, since then, I, I thought Dairon Espria was better than we've seen him for a while, but he's, he'd also been really bad recently. And so, you know, I mean, he comes in and he puts in sort of what I think you would, you would sort of expect out of that guy off the bench. And, and you're saying, Hey, that was good when it's just like, okay, well, no, that was really average. He's just been really poor recently. Uh, Darren Maddox obviously has been hurt, but he hasn't been productive in a little while. Uh, you know, and, and, and so it's just been sort of everybody else around them has also not stepped up to help fill at least part of that void. And you're right. I mean, you know, the defense is, I think, okay at best. I think you were maybe a little bit charitable. I don't think the defense is terrible. It's not laughable. It has terrible moments, but it's, it is not consistently terrible, but you're exactly right. The, the, the Timbers aren't a good team unless the attack is at least solid and, and is at least above average. And right now it's not, and it's frankly not even that close. And so uh, I, I think the, the, the concern is, uh, I, you know, I mean, even if you're, you're, you're right, and I think you probably are, that, you know, Valeria and Adi are going to pull themselves out of this any day now. I mean, this is sort of an annual thing for Adi. He has, you know, a month or six weeks where he disappears and then he comes back and, and starts scoring goals in bunches again. Uh, you know, I mean, we've seen Diego Valeri go through uh, little stretches in which he struggles. People re- forget that it took Valeri a long time to get back in form in the 2015 season. He got there. <laughs> Thankfully, he got there by the playoffs, but it took him a long time. I think he only had three goals in that season a- after playing a-, a-, a decent chunk of the second half of the year uh, and-, and-, and really had extended periods in which he struggled. And so this isn't anything that is super out of the ordinary for them. But 
in their absence. And, and when they do have a down game, I think it is reasonable to look around at the rest at the rest of the roster and say they've got to step up. And that to me is a bigger, longer term concern than getting Valerian Adi back in form, which I think will happen. Uh, the Timbers did concede their fourth goal of the season uh, on a corner kick, which is which is a lot. Period. Uh, it, it is actually surprisingly hard to run down these the statistics, but uh, the the conversion rate for corner kicks uh, in in MLS and generally is is not super high. It usually ranges between about uh, one and four uh, percent. And the Timbers are are conceding a lot of goals uh, on corner kicks in 2017. Is I mean, is that a problem? It is just four. I mean, it's four out of 21, right? Which uh, in absolute terms is not huge. But it's also four out of twenty-one. I mean, it's been it's dictated two results. They they lost a result in Columbus uh, and they lost a result in Seattle because they conceded goals on corner kicks. Uh, how how big of a deal is this for you? And is this something that the Timbers need to take a little bit more seriously? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's certainly something I think they need to take seriously. They don't want to continue to be a trend. Um, it, they are, like you said, that that is a lot. Um, I, I haven't looked at the Timbers and, and felt like they are particularly weak um, on corner kicks, um, that it's like their biggest problem or something like that. And, and like you said, I mean, four out of 21 isn't a huge number, but it is at a higher percentage than most teams are conceding off corner kicks. The Timbers have to do a better job of getting to that first ball if they can. I mean, that's what happened in the corner kick that they conceded um, in Seattle. And it's disappointing, especially when you put in a game um, where for the most part, your opponent is limited in its opportunities to give up one goal on a set piece. And that just comes down to better marking. That comes down to being first to the ball. It it comes down to mistakes uh, in that moment. And these are avoidable. These are things that the Timbers can get better at. There are teams, obviously, that will beat them on corner kicks. That will happen. But they definitely don't want to make it a trend. And that to be a weakness that other teams can point out. So um, I'm not overly concerned about it yet. Um, but I do think it's something the Timbers need to take seriously. I think this is a bona fide weakness. Uh, and I, you know, I, I, a- after the game, I, I think it was me. <laughs> I think I asked Caleb Porter about it. Uh, th- this was like four days ago. Give me a break. I can't remember that far. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, his answer was, first of all, I mean, yes, he's aware of it, obviously. Um, and, and, you know, he didn't say that it's not a concern. Uh, but you know, I mean, he sort of said, Hey, at some point it's not really a matter of, it's just something that players have to do. And so we work it we work it every week. Uh, you know, we do that. And, and, and he kind of said, you know, I mean, players just have to do it. Um, and that's, that, that is fine and good. Uh, I, I, you know, they've tried a number of different things schematically this year. I went back and looked, they, they have had some zonal looks. They were not in a zonal look uh on uh on Saturday they've had some hybrid looks they've had some pretty straight man looks uh and so you know i mean it, 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 they they've tried different things they, they've been working it but i mean nonetheless I, this is something that's clearly not going right and it's you know i mean it, it, it's enough of a weakness that they need to either consider doing something differently working it more or frankly getting different personnel on the field if there are certain guys that are not holding up their end of the bargain on, on corner kicks. And so, you know, I mean, that that is a problem. I, I mean, it it's two results, right? I mean, that's two points 
that is uh, two points they also could have denied the Sounders. Uh, it's a couple of points that could have denied Columbus, although who really cares? And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, that adds up over the course of a season. I mean, we're, we're less than halfway. We're significantly less than halfway in, into the MLS season. And the Timbers are, are conceding a lot of goals. Uh, specifically on corner kicks, to say nothing of set pieces in general. And, and so I do think this is something to be concerned about. I, it, it's not as, as much of a chronic problem as people make it out to be, uh, but it is a problem now. And, and, and it's something that, that, that Caleb Porter, whether he you know sees sort of obvious things that are going schematically wrong or not, it's something that he's got to find a solution to. And that's his job as a coach. Uh, and, 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 you know, if this can weakness continues, uh, to, to persist, I think it could make a material impact for the Timbers, uh, in the standings coming into the season. Uh, the handballs, let's talk about them. Uh, the first was Chad Marshall, uh, Darlington Nagby shot Chad Marshall playing some scarecrow defense, uh, with his left arm extended, uh, apparently trying to ward off birds or something, uh, struck his left arm uh, from, a, from Nagby's shot at, Blocked the shot, fell, was cleared. Uh, the other one was a ball that was sort of played into Fernando Adi. Uh, Adi was looking to turn. The ball sort of kick, uh, checked up, and it hit, you know, uh, Ozzy Alonso's arm as he was sort of, I guess, wrestling. That might be a little bit dramatic of a term. Grappling, hand fighting, doing something uh, with Adi, but it nonetheless hit his hand. What was your thought on the calls itself? I, I'm going to get into a little bit more structural issue later. Uh, but the calls itself, do you think they were both penalties? Do you think one was? Do you think neither were? I think the Alonzo one was a bit questionable, although I, I think it does raise more questions about why so many players, defenders seem to just hug Audi and that seems to be okay in the box. But um, I, I thought that one was a little bit more questionable. I thought the Chad Marshall one was the handball. I, I was very surprised that wasn't called and it, it seems like the referee saw it and just made the decision not to call it. And I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that was the right call. And I, I agree with Porter when he says that the inconsistency can basically be frustrating because the Timbers have had some bad luck. Obviously you look into Montreal getting a PK called um, against them that I don't think was deserved. And then they come to Seattle and I think that was a handball um, and it doesn't go their way. So um, not to give them any excuses because I think we've just pointed out a lot of the structural reasons why the Timbers have been having some problems um, and individual performance reasons why the Timbers have been having some problems lately, but yeah, they've, they've had some bad luck with some PK calls too. And um, for me, that should have been called. Yeah, I, I think de- I agree with you definitely on the Marshall one. I, I think that is a relatively easy call uh, that I'm surprised was not made, uh, even in light of sort of the, the, the inconsistency and even in light of the, the you know, little spout of uh, spout of like snake bittenness the Timbers have with penalty calls. I'm surprised it wasn't called because it was a, it was pretty clear cut. Uh, in my view, uh, I, I think the Alonzo one is a little bit more of an interesting issue um, to be sure there was more hand to ball than there was with the, with the Marshall one. But uh, I tend to be of the persuasion that, that he was more doing that hand fighting thing that I don't really know how to describe uh, with Adi. And, and you know, I, I, I mean, I raised the, this point on, on Twitter after the game and I, I think it's perfectly fair to say, okay, why is there being so much sort of physical contact with Adi in the box? And, and, and there's no question that Adi in many, many instances, and, and to some extent in this one too, gives as good as he gets. 
when when it comes to 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 that physical contact in the box. But hey, I mean, there, there's no question that basically from the beginning of that play, from the time that Adi was pretty well squared up and looking to receive that ball, Alonzo was all over him. Uh, and, you know, I mean, is being all over a guy and, and sort of wrestling with the guy a, an excuse for, for some hand to ball? I think that's, a, and don't, you know, I really need to go back and, and think about phrasing on that sentence. Uh, unfortunately, the podcast medium doesn't allow me to. Uh, so, but nonetheless, I mean, I mean, is, is that sort of a defense uh, to a handball? <laughs> that's it's sort of a, a hackneyed defense in some ways because you're basically like no 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 it wasn't a foul in this way it's because I was fouling him arguably in another way uh so you know I mean I I think that is an issue but more broadly and this is something the Timbers have talked about from time to time and, and have sort of raised in, in in salty moments but I think it's a valid point the way that, that players go about defending Fernando Adi in, in particular is kind of insane uh, and and the amount of contact the, the the defenders in particular get away with. Adi gets called for an awful lot of it, but the amount of contact that defenders in particular get away with on Adi, oftentimes in the box, just because a lot of it is sort of like you don't necessarily instinctually want to give a penalty for something that isn't sort of like glaringly obvious. Nonetheless, you look at what Alonzo was doing, and heck, if he does that three steps forward outside the box, it's an unquestionable foul. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, I, I, I do think that is sort of an interesting sort of offshoot issue from this. But as to whether I would have called it a handball, I think that's a little bit more arguable. And, and, and I, I think you can make better arguments both ways in that regard. Uh, Caitlin, our, our good friend, Caitlin Murray from uh, from our good friends with Fox Sports, uh, wants to know, is Chris now on board with video replay uh, because of this play? And my answer to that is a decided no, I am not. And here's why. Uh, I'm, you know, Mark Geiger after the game made very clear, very clear that he saw it. He essentially said, based on the distance from which the shot came uh, to the distance uh, of the arm and the lack of movement of the arm toward the ball, he did not think it, it, it was a handball. He did not think there was intent, in other words. So it's very clear that he saw the play. It's not a matter of, of Mark Geiger not seeing where Chad Marshall's arm was. He clearly saw where it was because he determined it didn't move toward the ball. I think that's totally wrong if you look at the, the play as a whole and you'll look at the fact that while Nagby is winding up his shot, his arm is going up, up, up. But that's an aside. It's not that he didn't see that. It's not like he didn't see the ball strike his hand. He clearly did. He just didn't think that's that's a handball. He just didn't think that's a penalty. And I think it is completely speculative that Mark Geiger then, watching the replay of the play that he very clearly saw, would make any different judgment. Uh, and this uh, gets into a, a different issue. But uh, I very much want to sort of push back on the notion that VAR is going to be some sort of panacea for things like this. I got to tell you right now, it's not. You're going to have some plays like this where it looks pretty darn clear cut, perhaps including this one, where even if there's VAR in a world in which VAR exists, Geiger runs over to the sideline, goes under the hood and comes back and says, nope. And we're all going to be kind of scandalized by that uh, if you're not anticipating the issues, the issues like this that will come up. So, no, I'm not on play with video replay uh, as a result uh, as a result of this play. And I'm not even convinced it would have made much of a difference here. You have anything you want to add on the on the VAR point? That was a late addition to the mental notes, so I want to make sure you've got a you've got an opportunity to chime in there. 
Yeah, I agree. It's not the situation in which VAR would be helpful um, because if the referee says he saw it and this is his interpretation, um, unless he's just saying that after the game because he wants to legitimize the call. Um, but if he's being honest and that's how he read it, it, it's ultimately up to his discretion. And so video replay or not, um, that's going to be the same call. It's just going to be delayed a little bit. So the other, I, I think, modest surprise coming into the game was that Alvis Powell was a healthy scratch. We saw him on the bench. Uh, you did some inquiring uh, and, and discovered that he was, in fact, healthy, but he was nonetheless replaced by Zarek Valentin, who I thought had an okay game. Uh, but Powell, a healthy scratch. What do you think this is? Is this sort of a, a, a long-term move, or is this uh, Caleb Porter sending a shot across the bow for Powell that it's time for him uh, to get out of, out of his own slump? Yeah. Um, and it sounds like when he came out of the game the week before, that was also uh, not based on injury, um, which I assumed in that moment. Um, so, yeah, this is clearly something that Caleb Porter is making a decision about. Um, it's not something where he's, you know, said anything uh, negative about Powell in the media, um, obviously. But I think this is one where he's kind of sending Powell a message. I don't expect that the Timbers have suddenly changed directions that now they see Zarek Valentin as the right back uh, of the future or anything like that. Um, but I think Powell has been inconsistent and it, it's disappointing to see when he, you start to see improvements in him when he suddenly seems to backslide and um, he is still, uh, still pretty much a young player. And I, I think that there is that time when you see the performances aren't really there where I think the Timbers have in the past and you've seen Porter do in the past kind of send him a message by taking him out of the lineup for a little bit, um, kind of sending him a little bit of a message. And I think that's probably what this is. I, I expect him to earn his spot back. I expect him to get more opportunities this year. Um, I don't think the Timbers see Valentin as their starting right back, even though Caleb Porter did point out that he's had a few really good weeks of practice recently. Um, but I, I think they want Powell to win that position, but he has to earn it. it, it they have other players, and I think that's the point um, that's being made here. They have other players, and if he's not earning it, he's not going to start. I agree. I have nothing really to add other than to say I agree. Uh, what did you think? Did that feel like a Timber Sounders game? Uh, what you experienced up there on Saturday, like late morning, early afternoon, uh, in, 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 in at CenturyLink Field, did that feel like you know, what you expect a uh, Timber Sounders uh, kind of game to feel like? Yeah, I, I I think it's a little bit unfair being in the press box because they keep the sound out. So I always feel like it doesn't feel as much as a Timber Sounders game as it should. Um, but no, not really. I, I don't think the stadium was as crowded as I expected at kickoff. It just didn't seem like the atmosphere. Um, it didn't feel like a big rivalry game. They didn't feel like that extra edge in the air. Um, I, I think the kickoff time probably had a lot to do with it. I, I loved the kickoff time as a journalist, but um, I don't think it's the most ideal time to schedule that game, especially on Memorial Day weekend um, on a nice day of the year when people are trying to get out and uh, trying to go on vacation for that weekend. Um, I, I think a night game might have had a different feel. Uh, so, yeah, it, it didn't really feel like uh, the same edge that those you, you, you usually feel in those rivalries. And it's also like, hey, I'm going to get super up in arms for something that I'm going to see in like two weeks. Uh, I agree. I, I, you know, even press box notwithstanding, I've been in that press box a lot for Timber Sounders games. That was way, 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 way more subdued than I think I've ever seen such such a game. And I think that's a, that's an issue. I mean, I think overexposure sort of of this rivalry is something that 
MLS and, and that the Timbers and Sounders uh, and U.S. soccer even need to need to be cognizant of uh, because, I mean, that felt more like just another Saturday game than it did sort of like Timbers Sounders big rivalry match. I mean, I, I mean, I, you know, those are the games that I look forward to every year, the two or three games that I look forward to every year. And it seems like now that we're in three out of four years uh, in which the, the Timbers and Sounders play each other at least four times a year, it, to me, that is another big issue uh, that it, it really feels like it's taking quite a bit of wind out of the sails uh, of what ha- is, uh, in my view, the best rivalry in MLS. And so I, I hope that's something that, that they really look at and, and, and consider and, you know, try to find a way uh, not to sort of allow these games to become overexposed and just become, hey, yeah, this is the team that we're going to play three times in the next five weeks, because uh, that's too bad. And, and I thought there was something significantly missing uh, from the atmosphere on Saturday. OK, hot take segment to be named later. Jamie Goldberg, you're up first. Sometimes I feel like I, I, I don't even need to be specific when, when I'm ranting about the NWSL. I just why did the NWSL do NWSL do this ridiculous thing that clearly should not have been done? Um, <laughs> it feels like this comes up every few times a year um, or some form of that. Um, but of course, it, it came up again this weekend. And um, the NWSL had a game because they wanted it a national TV game in Houston. They had a game uh, where the kickoff was 3 p.m. The it was over 90 degrees. I'm sure on the field, it was hotter. Um, and it was dangerous conditions for players to be playing in. And we saw that because towards the end of the game, Rachel Daly went down, um, just stumbled down and fell onto the field with heat exhaustion and had to go to the hospital. And she said after the game, when she um, tweeted out a message saying that she was doing okay, as well as um, a few other players, I believe, and, and um, uh, Seattle's coach as well, all pointed out that this was really hot. This weather was dangerous. It was not a situation um, that was ideal playing conditions at all. And the NWSL had to come out with a statement and say they're looking into their process. They wanted to schedule these games on national TV in Houston earlier in the year to avoid things like this, but they'll look into the process uh, once again. And the problem with this is that this is something the NWSL should have been aware of in advance. Um, and, And you look at last year, they scheduled a game on a field in the a baseball outfield in Western New York. That was way too small. It was an absurd playing surface. Um, and they had to come out again and apologize. But again, that's something they should have known in advance. The NWSL can't be making decisions out of convenience or what they think will be a good matchup or, or something like that in the moment and not take into considerations, the ramifications of their decisions. And, and this was truly dangerous. Uh, it's really good that Rachel Daly is okay. But putting players through that kind of heat when they're trying to play all out, trying to put in their best performance and exposing them to that kind of conditions when it's not safe is just a terrible look and it's dangerous. So um, I think the NWSL needs to figure out where its priorities are and what they need to do to ensure that they're doing what's best for the players, doing what's best for the game and not always doing what's convenient or um something they won't want in the moment. They need to be looking at what the ramifications are there. And I, it frustrates me that we have to talk so often about the mistakes the NWSL is making, avoidable mistakes. These are not mistakes that they're making just because they're a young league. These are avoidable mistakes that they should be taken into consideration as a professional organization. And you know what struck me as odd about that 
is you know they're like we tried to schedule these uh, early in the year. It's like you scheduled one in late May. I mean, it, it's not like you scheduled it in March and there was some like crazy heat wave that they that you know that they couldn't or or in like the first week of April and there was some wild heat wave that nobody could have seen coming. Uh, and there were like record high temperatures, breaking records by by ten degrees or something like that. No, I mean this is Houston in late May. It's not like it, it, it's out of this world that it's going to be kind of hot. I mean, is it going to be July hot? No, probably not. But, I mean, my goodness. I mean, it, it, it's a game in late May. The The temperatures were, you know, warm for this time of year, but not crazy for this time of year. And, I, yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. This is totally foreseeable. It's totally avoidable. And, and yes, I mean, is there pressure to get uh, games in Houston on Lifetime? Should Houston have Lifetime games? Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that is a negotiation that has to take place between NWSL uh, and lifetime ultimately, if the if, if the problem is solved by having an evening game in in Houston, then that's how you solve the problem. If the problem is solved by only having those games be essentially in the first couple of weeks of the season, uh, the day games in Houston be in the first couple of weeks of the season, then that's how the problem is solved. But you're right; there is absolutely no sort of like way that this can look better for NWSL. It was just an and you know a screw up. Period. I mean, it, that's just what it was, and and, and there's no real way uh, for them to rehabilitate that. Um. So going back to the handball thing, this is something that occurred to me as I was writing, as I was sort of writing and going through sort of the rule based analysis uh, and, and looking at uh, Mark Geiger's explanation. You know, as as I've done many times before, I was looking at uh, the handball portion of Law Twelve, the laws of the, the FIFA laws of the game. Uh, and, you know, I was thinking back on a lot of the handball penalties we've seen called in MLS this year. And, and there is a huge degree of inconsistency in how, uh, in how MLS referees are calling handball penalties. I mean, you, you think about the two that were given in the Timbers game against Houston uh, here in Portland earlier in the season, where one was Demarcus Beasley, whose arm was tucked essentially inside of his body and it, and it hit his arm or elbow uh, when it, you know, if that wasn't there, it would have otherwise hit his side. He was nonetheless called for handball uh, and, and and a penalty. Uh, and and then the other one was was Diego Chara, who did a similar thing, except he was covering his face. He raised his arm uh, to cover his face. The ball would have hit his face if his arm wasn't there. Uh, instead, it hit sort of his forearm or elbow area uh, and 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 went off his arm. And and again, uh, Houston was awarded a penalty in that instance. And, and so you see those given, and then you see something like Chad Marshall, where his arm is extended well out away from his body, basically perpendicular to his body. Uh, it unquestionably affected a shot. Uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't have hit uh, Marshall's arm in that instance and probably would have been a shot on frame uh, had Marshall's arm not been there. Uh, and, and, and that is not given. And so you have pretty wild inconsistency. And it's clearly, you know, at least in, in the latter instance, not a matter of the referee sort of not seeing it or, uh, or, or thinking he saw something different. Uh, you have this, this wide, wide range uh, of variability in, in the calls. And look, it's understandable to some extent. When you look at Law 12, the, the, the way Law 12 is set up as to handballs, it is both like incredibly ambiguous uh, and frankly, there are times when it seems contradictory. Uh, and, and you look at the law and you look at Geiger's explanation and it's not that I, <laughs> I, I certainly don't agree with Geiger. I think it was, it was clearly the incorrect call, 
in the way you want to see that that call. But I mean, you see the, where the things he would point to in the law of the game to say that's not a handball, which seems crazy. But but ultimately, this comes down to FIFA's inability to sort of set clear standards as to how the handball rule should be applied worldwide. Uh, and then also pros inability to set clear standards uh, in, in FIFA's absence, pros inability to set clear standards as to how MLS referees are going to apply the handball rule. And you see it every week where soft handballs you see called all the time. And then you see pretty significant ones like Marshall's uncalled. And that is that ultimately goes as much to the folks up the chain as it does the referees on the ground. I mean, that has as much to do with the, with the folks at Pro Central Office and at MLS headquarters as it does with Mark Geiger uh, on the field uh, on Saturday. And I don't want that to be sort of lost in among this. The handball rule is a total mess. Uh, the way it's laid out, the way it's interpreted, uh, the guidelines that are given to referees, the guidelines that are publicly posted, uh, I, I think it, it has led to this wild inconsistency and has made penalties which are really important calls, right? I mean, these are goals. <laughs> goals are super valuable in soccer. These are incredibly important determinations for referees to make, and, and they are made as much seemingly based upon randomness as they are based upon any sort of clear guidelines. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I think there needs to be clear guidelines um, that outline exactly what a handball is. I think every referee in MLS and, and leagues might do it differently, but every referee in MLS should have a specific outline of what situation would be a handball and what wouldn't. There should be examples. There there should be different videos, incidents they want called as handballs and they don't want called. And maybe they do some of this stuff behind the scenes, but it's clearly uh, it's clear that the message is not consistent from what we're seeing in the calls uh, throughout MLS. And I, I think these are the types of things that lead to people saying that refereeing in MLS isn't good. There has to be consistency. And if pro wants to prove that they are doing a good job, that the referees in MLS are up to the standard they should be, there has to be this consistency and there has to be the clear messages and how to make massive calls. So a bit of Timbers roster news this week, uh, as you mentioned earlier, and as you reported uh, on what day was it? Monday or some such day? Uh, the Timbers. Memorial day. Was it Monday? Yes, it okay. was Monday. Uh, the Timbers have signed Larry Smabiella. He's a center back out of Kaiserspor in the Turkish Super League. Uh, they had been in a relegation battle. They are now clear of the relegation zone, and because of the way the Super League played out this year, actually are like not far from being mid table. Um, in some sort of randomness. Uh, but the, nonetheless, the, the Super League season is coming to an end this weekend. I think this Saturday is is the last round. Uh, and Mabiala will be joining up with the Timbers, uh, it sounds like, relatively shortly thereafter. That said, he will not play for the Timbers until at least July 10th because the Timbers can't request his international transfer certificate until the secondary transfer window opens uh, in July. Uh, so what do we know uh, about the signing of, of Mabiala? Uh, and and is that sort of the, the the reasonable expectation as for both his arrival in town to start training with the team and, and to start playing? Yeah, um, I, I think this, as we've reported before, this is a player the Timbers had essentially signed a, a while back. They've been targeting him for a while. It, it really had to do, I, I think the Timbers would have liked to bring him in earlier, but it had to do with it that his team was in this relegation battle that it, they weren't willing to release him and they weren't willing to make that deal. So, um, the Timbers had to wait 
Uh, and fortunately into the secondary transfer window, it's later than they want. They've been wanting to bring in a new center back since um, Bangar Okoye went down in preseason. Um, and obviously we've talked a little bit about the defensive struggles, but this is a player that I think the Timbers are bringing in that they expect is going to slot next to Liam Ridgewell. And hopefully because he will have the practice time with the Timbers, hopefully be able to slot in right at when that transfer window opens. Um, Cause he will have had uh close to a month maybe of training with the timbers um i that's my understanding that he probably will be coming in shortly uh in sometime in the next few weeks uh definitely during june so um i he should have time to train with the timbers adjust to the environment and, and then get in uh in july um but yeah with where the timbers have been and, and kind of the defensive struggles I, I think this is really important that they're bringing in a center back uh, he's definitely a guy that has experience both playing in Turkey and playing in France um, and plenty of games at the professional level at a high enough level under his belt. So the Timbers think this is a guy that's going to be the answer there. And given how things have played out so far this year, it's a move that I think they need to make. I just want to make one more note uh, about this, and it is purely comedic. Uh, I saw multiple outlets referring to him as former PSG defender, uh, Luis Mabiala, and this always cracks me up because you see this in, in American reporting consistently. They basically look at all the clubs the, the, the player has played for and like just choose the most famous to headline with. Okay, he played like three games with the PSG first team. Uh, he came up through PSG's system, but like to call him a former PSG uh, defender is uh, quite a bit much. He did, I mean, in, in fairness, he did play a significant number of games, I think, for Nice uh, in, in, in Liga 1 uh, over the course of three years. He's also been a, a Super League, which is a good league, uh, a, a Super League sort of regular. He's been captain for Kaiserispor. Uh, I think he played for Karabukaspor before that. Um, and so, you know, I mean, he's, he's been, in, he has a good resume in his own right, but to call him PSG defender, a former PSG defender, Larissa Mabiala is a little teensy bit of a stretch. Um, okay. Uh, we've got an international duty and injury report to run down. So let's do that. Darlington Nagby, let's start us off. Uh, he's the easy one. He is already, uh, in Denver with the U S men's national team. He helped, I guess, like stand on the field before the national anthem uh, at the Rockies game last night, which was which was very nice. Previously did that at a much better spot, Wrigley Field. Uh, although the Cubs are really stinking up the joint right now. Um, and so he is already with the national team. He will stay with the national team, and we will not see him for the next couple of weeks. Uh, David Guzman, I, I think there were a couple questions with him. He has been called up uh, to Costa Rica for the set of World Cup qualifiers, uh, and he also went down, came out of the game in Seattle with what was initially reported as a, what Kaylor, not reported, what Caleb Porter like initially sort of thought maybe a concussion, but then he sort of hedged and said, actually, I don't really know what it is. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he like got hit in the eye. It sounds like you learned more about that situation in the situation with Guzman today. So why don't you run down a, whether he's still in town and will be in town for the game, uh, i.e. not on national team duty and b whether he's healthy to play. Yeah, um, Caleb Porter had already always said um, that Guzman would be uh, at this upcoming game versus San Jose if uh, he was available in terms of his health, and that's the plan. Um, because the Costa Rica doesn't have kind of a friendly ahead of their World Cup qualifiers like the U.S. national team has, uh, he can leave after the San Jose game. Uh, he also does appear to be healthy. He's been trained this week. The expectation is he will play 
against San Jose, uh, according to Porter. It essentially was um, what Porter essentially classified as a retina contusion. <laughs> he he had a sore eye. Um, he he got hit in the eye during the game and was having trouble seeing. And that's why he came out. And I think that's what we initially thought was the reason why he was coming out. I, I'm guessing, honestly, that Caleb Porter probably in quickly talking to the training staff at halftime and focusing on a lot of other stuff, um, just completely mischaracterized it as a possible concussion. I, I kind of doubt um, that was the situation, particularly since he didn't come out until halftime. Um, and it really did look like something was up with his eye. Um, but that turns out what it is. And, and it looks like that is healing up and he will be available on Friday. Yeah. I, so when he said concussion, I was really surprised because I, like we all saw him got, get sort of like hit or like scraped or poked in the eye by, uh, by Clint Dempsey during that, that game. Uh, but I, like when he said concussion, I think we we're all like, wait, when did that happen? What? Uh, and so this, this story, like and, and, and correcting it makes much, much more sense. Uh, Darren Maddox, uh, we know that he did not suit up uh, against the Sounders because of, because of a hamstring issue. It sounded like we, we didn't get much of an update on, on Maddox today. Uh, I think in, in light of the, uh, in light of the hamstring nat- nature of the issue with Maddox, that is a pretty consistent problem. He only came down with it last Friday. My guess is he probably will not be available, uh, against San Jose just because hamstrings tend to be more than sort of like one week deals. They're not always much more than one week deals. Uh, but generally, a, if you pull a hamstring enough that you can't suit up for a game, uh, it's usually going to be a little bit more than just sort of a, a, a you know few day kind of deal before you're uh, ready to go. Hamstrings are kind of tough in that regard. And so my guess, uh, although we don't have any official word on this, my guess is Maddox will not be uh, ready to go for San Jose on Friday. Uh, Jeff Ananella, sounds like we have a fun update as to him. Yeah, um, <clears throat> Jeff Ananella was back in uh, training um, on Tuesday. Uh, and I know this, uh, no way I could miss him because as he was coming on the field, he was holding his hands up in the air yelling, I'm free. I'm free. Um, so he was pretty excited to get back out into training. Goalkeepers are weird, man. Goalkeepers (laughs) are weird. Okay. There are going to be two goalkeepers on the field, uh, on Friday at eight o'clock. That is when the Timbers take on the San Jose earthquakes. It's probably going to be Jake Gleason and David Bingham. Uh, so, uh, but that'll be that game. A uh, big game for the Timbers, obviously, as they get, uh, as they look to get back on the right track after after quite a bit of a slump over the course of the last five or seven games. Uh, I think the biggest question as far as who's going to play for the Timbers is who's going to replace Darlington Nagby uh, on the left wing or maybe the right wing, depending on how it, it pans out. Uh, what is your call? Who, who replaces Nagby? Well, even if Maddox is available because he's coming off a hamstring injury, I, I just kind of doubt he's going to be in the starting lineup. I, I expect it's going to be Espria. Yeah, I think that's probably correct. And, and you know, I mean, Espria had a nice little performance against Seattle, maybe suggesting that he's uh, sort of coming out of his own little downturn. I mean, and I feel like I've listed half a dozen guys that have been in a little bit of a slump recently. And hey, when you have a lot of guys in a slump, that probably means you're not playing super good soccer as a team, which I think basically jives with the Timbers form over the course of the last uh, several weeks. Um, But yeah, so I I think uh, Espria is certainly the more likely. If uh, Maddox is not able to go, I think Victor Arboleda will be in line for some playing time, which I think is something that is arguably a little bit overdue uh, and and, uh, is something that I'm very much looking forward to. He's had... Uh, some good moments uh, for T2 over the course uh, of the season. He's had some good moments uh, in his very, very few minutes uh, for the first team. And I certainly hope uh, 
uh, it'll it'll be uh, more good moments if he is able to get 20 or 30 minutes of run on Friday against the Earthquakes. Uh, the Earthquakes have some questions as far as international duty. These guys are all sort of leaving at different times. I think all of these players will be available for the Earthquakes on Friday, but I'm not sure. And that is Cordell Cato, Anibal Godoy, and Marco Ureña. Ureña is a Costa Rican international, so you'd certainly think there would be a Goose Gander situation with David Guzman. Uh, Godoy is a Panamanian international, uh, and I have no idea what their schedule is, and, and, and Cato is a Trinidadian and Toboggan international. Uh, is it Trinidadian and Toboggan, or do you just say Trinidadian? I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head. And you look like you're like, I'm a sports journalist, dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so in any event, uh, those are all questions for the Quakes coming into uh, into Friday's game. My guess is they will all be here, but that is just that, a guess. Uh, a couple more Timbers questions before we move on to the Thorns. Robert wants to know, are the Timbers too predictable from a tactical perspective? Are they too reliant on Fernando Adi and Diego Valeri? I think they're definitely reliant on Fernando Adi and Diego Valeri, but I think that's the nature of MLS. I, I mean, I don't think there's any team in the league that you take out their two best players in the attack and they're still the same attacking team. I think the Timbers have to be reliant on Larry and Audi. And I think what they're performing, they're, they're not too predictable. I think they've shown that they can score. Different players can score. They can score from different ways. If players are too focused on Audi and Valeri, when things are firing all cylinders, they, they can take advantage of it with other players like Nagby. Um, I think they've definitely not performed up to what you want to see from them lately. And that's maybe made them a little bit more predictable. But I, I think... I, I just don't think that there's any way you can't be relying on two de- of your designated players in a league that designated players are at a premium. So I, I think these are two different questions uh, because I agree with you as to the second one that, I, I mean, yes, they are really relying on Audi and Valeri, but that's in many ways the nature of the beast. But I do think there's something to be said about the, the Timbers not really having a sort of plan B approach, uh, I, I guess would be how I would put it. I, you know, the Timbers... Very often, especially when they're at full strength, the Timbers basically come out in the same basic setup every time, right? You've got the four at the back. You've got Chara, Guzman, uh, Holding. You've got Nagby, Valeri, uh, Blanco in the attacking three, and then you've got Adi up top. Sometimes you can call that a 4-3-3 if the Timbers are pushing their wingers, wingers, although with those two, they don't tend to do it all that much. Sometimes you can sort of stretch and call it a little bit of a 4-4-2, if Valeri's playing significantly higher uh, than, than Nagby and Blanco, they did a little bit of that uh, in, in, in Seattle. But, I mean, the, the differences in between those three and, and how they sort of go between it, and I, I usually call it a 4-2-3-1 because I think that's the middle one <laughs> and, as far as the two approaches and, and is probably the most reflective of reality most often. Uh, they really are matters of degree, and they really are just a matter of, uh, of, of where the, the wingers are playing relative to Valeri uh, and where Valeri is playing relative to Fernando Adi. And so, you know, I mean, those are, that is not sort of a, a, a big difference. We really don't have and haven't seen anything from the Timbers that would be like a true sort of like, okay, we're doing something that's going to be a little bit different, that's going to maybe catch uh, a team off guard or, or that's something that we can really go to uh, when it's a matter of, uh, of, you know, I mean, setting up a matchup that we like. I mean, we, we, we don't see the Timbers go to a single pivot very often. We don't see the Timbers uh, sort of go to a three at the back 
kind of, kind of set up very often. And, and so I am a little bit concerned that the Timbers are maybe a little bit too predictable from a tactical pr- perspective. You know Nagby is going to come in from the left. You know Blanco is going to more or less come in or going to at least play pretty free from the right. You know Valeri is going to have license to go to go anywhere. And yes, there will be subtle differences uh, here and there in, in how some of those guys play uh, and how the Timbers will use their fullbacks maybe. Uh, but you won't see fundamental differences and you won't see uh, the kind of thing that I think would make a team say, oh, we're seeing something completely different than what we expected to see against the Timbers. I think that's hard, especially early in the season, to have sort of that true plan B in the bag. I think we've seen the Timbers roll out plan Bs like that later in the season, and that's worked sometimes and been one of the things that really helped them uh, put together a good fall when they have done that. Uh, But I I, I do think that is a, a valid criticism, even if it is sort of perhaps explained by just the part of the season that we're at right now. Uh, Chester wants to know, do people need to cool it with the fire Porter talk? Uh, in Chester's view, he says it is a bunch of Kofefe, if you ask him. Uh, and by the way, before we get to the, to the, uh, to the actual question, I want to clarify with you how you think this is pronounced. Uh, it, it of course comes from president Trump's tweet. Uh, last night we're recording on Wednesday, uh, it is spelled C-O-V-F-E-F-E. How do you pronounce that, Jamie Goldberg? <laughs> I don't know. I Can I go with I just don't care? It's just, sorry. It's just a ridiculous thing. Kofefi, I don't know. Kofefi? I kind of like, <laughs> I don't I know. kind of like Kofefi, except if it was Kofefi, I would have really wanted the New England Revolution to replace Gershon Kofi with Kofefi <laughs> in, their, uh, in their line of thing tonight. And they didn't yeah. do that. So, boo. Uh, maybe Kofefe. Anyway, uh, do people need to cool it with the fire porter talk? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we should be at that point yet. Um, yes, he the Timbers didn't make playoffs last year. Yes, they didn't make playoffs in 2014. But they came in first in the Western Conference in 2013, and they won the MLS Cup in 2015. Porter has had a mixed run as Timbers coach, but he's had some very big successes. Um, and I, I think you want to see the Timbers be a little bit more consistent, but we're in a small rough path after a strong start to the season. And there are questions about whether this rough patch is something the Timbers are going to come out with, come out of easily, or whether there are real questions about their attack and their defense. And it's fair to be asking those questions, but I think it's way too early. The Timbers are, um, I, I'm trying to remember the exact number, but I think only four or five points out of first place in the Western Conference right now. They are right four now. right now. They will be five at the end of the night after Houston gets done absolutely laying the lumber uh, to Rail Salt Lake. They're up 5-1 right now in the 84th minute. Go ahead. Yeah, so a few games and the Timbers are right back towards the top of the Western Conference. So it's not time to be talking about how dire of a situation the Timbers are in and whether Caleb Porter should be losing his job. Obviously coaching, this is an industry where coaches come and go and another season where the Timbers don't make playoffs or something like that. Then you start wondering, is it time for the Timbers to go in a different direction with their coaching staff? But we're, we're not even halfway through the season and the Timbers have their best start that they've had uh, ever as an MLS club and are still only five points out of fourth place, even though uh, first place, even though they've dropped um, from first to fifth in the last month. So yeah, I say cool it for now. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a conversation point that 
could come up again at the end of the year, depending on what direction the Timbers go. Yeah, put a pin in it. Uh, I, I, I agree with that entirely. I mean, you know, the Timbers win this weekend. Uh, they could very well be right up in the mix uh, among the top of the Western Conference, depending on other results. Uh, and, and they even have a game in hand on some of those teams, too. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it is really premature. Uh, he, Caleb Porter will be the coach of the Timbers at the end of the season this season. I, I, I think there's very little question that he will be able to, to coach out the remainder of the season. And frankly, winning MLS Cup in 2015, I think he deserves at least that. Uh, and, and without much question. Now, I I'd also totally agree with you that if they miss the playoffs again this year, I, I think that becomes a, a huge talking point for the offseason. Uh, if the Timbers don't make the playoffs with as much talent as they have in the attack, uh, and and with then missing the playoffs three out of five years during during Porter's tenure, uh, I think that would be a big talking point. If the Timbers are you know just sneaking into the playoffs uh, as the sixth seed and then immediately get bounced uh, in the first round, I still think that's a conversation uh, that that you need to have. Uh, and so you know, I mean, I it's not that I think this comes from totally irrational places. It's just premature at this point because, you know, I mean, it's talking about this 2017 season uh, like it's sort of a, a done deal, uh, like it's over, uh, when in fact that is not even close to being the case right now. So uh, put a pin in it. Uh, if it needs to be revisited at the end of the season, I assure you it will be. Um, but, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're not there. Uh, Timbers win this weekend. They're going to be very, very likely in the top three in the West. And then you seem awfully silly for talking about firing Caleb Porter this week. Uh, Thorns to Breaker Zero uh, by way of a Julie King Ongle in the first minute and then an Amandine Onregal. Her first is a thorn, which, like, I knew that, but it still, like, surprised me when I saw it. Uh, her first is a thorn uh, in the fifth minute. That's all the scoring that happened. Uh, we got all of it out of the way early this weekend. Uh, our predictions, uh, both, I think, pretty solid. You called a 2-1 Thorns win uh, with two Lindsay Horan assists. I called a 3-1 Thorns win with a Christine Sinclair brace. Neither of our side bets were anywhere near correct. Uh, you got the Thorn scoring two goals. Uh, you, however, gifted the breakers one. Uh, I got the margin. What do you think that works out to end points? I'm going to go with a similar even um, of even 15 points each. 15 points each. I think we both acquitted ourselves fairly well. And hey, all told, I mean, we got four out of four results. Uh, between the two of us. I, I think this was, uh, even though, you know, there was a lot, uh, we didn't get a lot of right as to the nature of the game against the Sounders, uh, I think we can hold our heads fairly high this week uh, and at least getting, uh, you know, everybody getting the result right. Uh, as to this Thorns Breakers game, I think the first question that I was sort of thinking about after it uh, was, was this the best performance from the Thorns uh, of the season? You, you know, in my view, uh, not only did they sort of take that 2-0 uh, early lead, but they sort of won this going away. It was there. There was not any point. Uh, I got back at about halftime, so I, I watched the second half live. Uh, there was not any point at which I thought the the Breakers were a serious threat to get back into it. I thought the Thorns were much likelier to go to three or four uh, than the Breakers were to go to one or two. Uh, what did you think? Was that the best performance from the Thorns this year? Yeah, I, I thought it was. I, I obviously they've had some other good wins, but I mean, you look even early in the season when they. Beat Orlando to start the season. It wasn't nearly the type of performance that they had um, against Boston this weekend. I think that this is a Thorns team that has been making strides every week. This they haven't really taken steps backwards. I, I think 
we may have wanted to see a performance like this a little bit earlier from them, but I think they're moving in the right direction and they're doing a pretty good job of handling the injuries they're having. Um, I, I think they did at least in that performance, I, maybe not in every game so far, but that performance was really promising, especially given the injuries. So um, this is a very good team. I think they're finally taking steps in the right direction for where they want to be as a team this year. And I, I think this was a really promising performance and, and um, I felt it was the best of the season and gave me hopes for what this team can be this season. I agree. And most notably, it certainly seems the goals are starting to come now for the Thorns. Uh, they've scored multiple goals in three out of their last four games. Uh, they scored two twice, once on the road and once at home uh, against Boston. And frankly, looked uh, certainly, well, as, I, as I noted, primed to score more than two against the Breakers. Uh, and probably could have if they needed to. But uh, even at 2-0, the game was well in hand. Uh, so I agree. Best performance of the season for the Thorns. Uh, I think it bodes very, very well uh, for for the Thorns going forward. If the attack really is starting to get into form, the defense still looked very sharp. I thought Emily Sonnet had a tremendous game uh, against the Breakers. Uh, I think she is arguably underrated, which is a crazy thing to say. Uh, as high as everybody was on her a year or two ago, uh, I think there there has been... Uh, perhaps too quick of a fleeing of the of the of the bandwagon for for Sonnet. Uh, she was outstanding uh, against the Breakers. She's been good basically all year. There's a reason the Thorns have not uh, conceded very many goals, uh, and she's a big part of it. Um, I, I think the other big question in my head now, following this game and following a, an injury update that you're going to provide us in the course of this answer, uh, I say, <laughs> sort of suggestively, uh, is. I, you know, I mean, the Thorns are going to have a big decision to make on the wings. Uh, Tobin Heath looks like she's on the verge of returning. She's going to travel uh, to New Jersey to for, for the Sky Blue game. It looks questionable, doubtful whether she'll play. But in any event, uh, it looks like she's going to play. Uh, she's at least going to play by the, the, the return game two weeks later after the international break. When that happens, when Tobin gets back into the lineup, when she gets back into the eleven. Does Mark Parsons keep uh, keep Haley Rosso or Nadia Nadim, or does he maybe even do something a little bit more dramatic to the eleven? What do you think? How does Tobin coming back into the team uh, affect that selection? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing I just want to say before I get into that answer is that along with Tobin Dagny, um, looks like she is going to see minutes this weekend, maybe off most likely off the bench. And, um, I think she's a player that's going to struggle to start with the roster they have and how well some of these players have been doing, but. Um, the Thorns are getting some attacking help really quickly. Uh, so a team that seems to get seems to have started to get its attack going is about to get a lot better in the attack in the next few weeks. I think it's a tough one with Nadim and Rosso. I don't see them getting creative and trying something else out. I do think it was one of those two that would come out of the lineup. I think more likely it's Rosso uh, just because of the way Nadim performed last year and how well she was for the team last year and how she's come on um, pretty well again this year, but Russell's quickly proving herself and it. That's going to be a tough decision. I, I mean, she had a, I think a tremendous game up against Boston and um, she is earning a spot on the field and it's definitely proving she can be a very strong starter in the NWSL. Um, along with that, Ashley Sykes is coming in the next few weeks. So <laughs> Mark Parsons is going to have some real big questions. Um, clearly Tobin Heath is going to be on the field when she's healthy. Um, so these other players are around her. Um, they're going to have to make some decisions. The one thing I do want to point out is that Amandine Henri is going to be gone for a very extended period of time for the European Championships. That's 
going to make them have some changes in the midfield. And, and maybe that brings in a spot for Sykes or Rosso without having to make too tough of decisions there. But um, I can't say for sure what Parsons is going to do. Cause while I feel like Nadim would be the obvious choice to keep in the lineup, Rosso has been very, very good. I really don't know how you take Rosso out right now. Uh, at what, 22, 23 years old, she is clearly still sort of on her development curve. And that development curve looks like it's being pretty steep right now. I, I mean, when she showed up here last year, she was, she was, she's always been sort of a pacey, disruptive player, but she's not been a, she, but she wasn't a consistently creative player. She wasn't a, she wasn't generating very much out of those moments in which she was being pacey and getting in behind and being disruptive. Now she is. And that is a huge, huge step in sort of the, the development of a winger. And I would be really reluctant if I were Mark Parsons to to disrupt that. Uh, I agree the, that Henri being gone for a little bit uh, for the Euros certainly does sort of at least resolve that for temporarily for, for that period of time. I, I think it'll be likely uh, that they'll try some things like putting uh, Nadim up top and, and, and putting Sinclair in either as a second forward or as a number 10 can get kind of semantic uh, in, in behind her uh, and working those two uh, together. Uh, so, I mean, that may sort of, sort of solve that, that problem in the short term, but I will say this, and I, and I say this uh, acknowledging that Christine Sinclair is a legend. Uh, and I say this thinking that Christine Sinclair is a very important uh, player for the Portland Thorns, I think you have to consider uh, in light of form this season, I think you've got to consider when everybody is here, uh, whether you put Nadim or, or Sinclair off top. Uh, I, I think there's there's an argument that there's enough creativity. There's going to be enough creativity once they get that, uh, the, the, the sort of, uh, I, I, the chemistry work, worked out between the, the central midfield three. There's enough creativity coming from there. Uh, there's enough creativity from Heath on one wing uh, and maybe Rosso on the other wing uh, that Nadim becomes a, a, a pretty valuable sort of poacher. She is a very good, very athletic, uh, good finishing uh, striker. Uh, and, and that makes a lot of sense when you've got creative players all around her, whereas Christine Sinclair is a more complete forward to be sure. She's somebody who can play as a 10. She's somebody who can play as a second forward. But arguably, when all you want is sort of that pure number nine, uh, Nadim may have some benefits over Sinclair. And so I do think, even though I don't necessarily think it's likely, and I probably wouldn't even go to it as my first choice, I think that's something you got to consider. And I think if you get to the point where you're at the end of those Euros and Nadim is still on top form among the Thorns' best players over the course of the beginning of the season, uh, and, and Rosso is still on top form and is still taking steps forward, uh, I think when Henri comes back from the Euros, you've got to think about that. Uh, that's a controversial thing to say it's a shocking thing to say uh in in many ways in light of the the of Sinclair's accomplishments but I I think it's also a realistic thing to say uh Thorns at Sky Blue that's Saturday four o'clock uh Sky Blue is on 13 points they they've played one more game than the Thorns so the Thorns are actually just a smidge above them on points per game uh would you say Sky Blue uh in on 13 points I I think that puts them in, in in second or third right now nominally but it is the the NW top of the NWSL table very much approximates the uh, MLS Western Conference right now. Uh, very very bunched up top, uh, but but Sky Blue are right in the mix of things. Are they the surprise of the se- season now that the Breakers have sort of hit the skids? I don't know if they're the surprise over the Breakers. I mean, the Breakers have hit the skids because they came up against the Thorns and the Thorns have played better. Um, 
not necessarily because of them. I, I, I think the thorns, I still think the thorns are the most talented team questionably with North Carolina, but one of the most talented teams in this league. So I expect when they're playing well, they're going to be able to beat pretty much any team in the league. So I'm not sure if they're the surprise necessarily over the breakers, but I think both those teams have been, um, it's been quite a surprise and the NWSL is improving. There's a lot of teams getting better. And um, these teams that were expected to be kind of bottom dwellers and the games that you should win, that's a whole different story this year. So um, Sky Blue has been very good. And this is not going to be an easy, um, easy game at all for the Thorns going on the road to, uh, I think, a tough place to play in terms of field conditions, a tough flight, tough travel uh, against a team that has done very, very well this year. Yes, as you mentioned, Sky Blue are 3-0-0 in Piscataway, New Jersey. I mostly just wanted to say Piscataway. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, based on current form, they're the best thing in Jersey since Bruce Springsteen. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, this is going to be a challenging road game uh, for the Thorns. Uh, it's a big road game, but going into the international break, I, I think at this point, uh, if the Thorns go and win this game, and correct me if you disagree, I think you would have to say the Thorns have essentially come out of their early season sort of, not really a slump, but like, you know, slightly great, less great performance than we expected, uh, have sort of come out of that and have established themselves once again as being among the dominant teams in um, NWSL, if they can go to Piscataway and, and, and get the win. Do you think that's that's fair to say, or is that even a little bit premature, uh, you know, in, in making that call before the, the international break? I think maybe it's a little bit premature. Um, I, I think they go a long way to proving that if they go to Sky Blue and get the win and that they're moving in the right direction. But I, I do think it's been a bit of a slow start for the Thorns. They're right in the mix, but I think we expected it to be a bit of a faster start. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think they are going to make a statement if they go to Sky Blue right now and um, get a win. All right, so let's predict that first. Uh, Thorns at Sky Blue. Uh, since we're talking about it, we'll take it first. Uh, Saturday, as I said, 4 o'clock. You can find it on the Go90 app. Uh, what do you say, Jamie Goldberg? What's your call? Um, I am going to go with a Thorns 1, Sky Blue 0. Um, I think the Thorns are going to carry this form to Sky Blue. I think it's going to be a tough game. I think it's going to be a hard-fought game, but I think the Thorns are going to pull it out. And because we were just talking about her, I'm going to go uh, with Haley Razzo getting the game-winning goal. Haley Razzo with the game-winning goal for you. Uh, for me, uh, I also think the Thorns are going to win. I think it's going to be 2-1. I think this is going to be a whale of a soccer game, to be honest. Uh, I, but I, I think the Thorns are going to once again come away with a couple goals, uh, put those questions about the attack e even deeper into the rearview mirror. Uh, and Allie Long is going to score a late winner. It's going to be in dramatic fashion. Uh, late on, Allie Long is going to score a winner for the Thorns as they come away uh, from Piscataway uh, with all three points. I'm really excited I got to say Piscataway three, now four times in this episode. Uh, Timbers Earthquakes, that's not in Piscataway. That is in Providence Park uh, right here in Northwest, I guess technically Southwest Portland. Uh, what do you think is going to happen in that game? That is Friday at 8 o'clock. Go. What's your prediction? I think this is a big game for the Timbers, and I think it's a game they should win, um, especially if they want to show that they're right back in the mix. Um, so I am going to err on the side of optimism and say that the Timbers are going to get the 2-1 win. And for fun, Diego Chara is going to come back after his red card suspension and get that goal. Make it um, make it up I, to everybody, huh? Yeah, make it up with that goal. But uh, yeah, I think this is a big one for the Timbers. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I, I think in light of FC Dallas coming to town next weekend, uh, this is a big game, especially insofar as the Timbers need to sort of get back on the right track before a very, very good team is going to be coming to Providence Park. Uh, if the Timbers don't take this one, they're not going to have a lot of confidence uh, carrying into a game in which they're certainly going to need it. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, that you know, if they were to go the next two home games uh, without getting a significant chunk of points, I would think that would be the time at which you'd look around. They would likely be below the red line and say, all right, where is 2017 going? Um, Timbers Earthquakes, I'm going to say they are going to get that win, though. Uh, I'm going to go 2-0. Diego Valeri is going to come back in a big way. He's going to make it up to everybody after his poor performance in Seattle. Uh, goal and an assist for uh, the Argentine Diego. Uh, we're we're going all Diego uh, side bets apparently today. Uh, but yeah, that is my call. Uh, we're both pre- predicting a six-point weekend. I guess technically the Timbers play on Friday. Does that still count as a six-point weekend, even though they don't technically play on the weekend? What do you think, Jamie? How pedantic, yeah. how pedantic are you going to be about this? Well, Friday's generally the day I can actually take off, so I'm definitely considering that a weekend. Okay, so a uh, six-point of Jamie's weekend, even though she will be working both days. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> happy weekend, Jamie. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, the, that's the end of Soccer Made in Portland, with the exception, of course, of the fantasy update. Uh, third place, this is, uh, I, I will add, this is with some of this week's results because we're recording during the midweek games. Uh, but third place, Beer City FC, that's Benjamin. Uh, with 1,223 points. Second place is, I think this is going to spell something, but I don't really understand it, and I'm not smart enough to figure it out quickly. Uh, hate T2W8T. I don't, I don't know, but that's something. Uh, with 1,231 points in second place, I can say that, uh, and that is Christian in second place, and then still on top, 1,263 points, and nice little cushion is Big Hearts Brass Balls. Uh, Jamie Goldberg, you remain in dead last. I'm having a really good week. I'm up to 36th place uh, in the Soccer Made in Portland Fantasy uh, Fantasy League, so I'm passing a lot of you guys uh, out there. But luckily we have Jamie to make us all feel better about ourselves because she doesn't play. Okay, <laughs> this is Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, you can find us every week on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. Uh, you can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, Thank you all so much for your questions this week, uh, as well as, of course, for tuning in. Uh, Enjoy the Thorns game at Sky Blue, as well as the Timbers game against the Earthquakes. We'll be back next week to talk about all of that and, you know, other stuff that happens during the course of the week. Until then, uh, enjoy the soccer, and as always, take care.